1: Congratulations, True Crime Addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, November 4th, 2022. And this week, I got to tell you about some updates with Richard Allen and his arrest for the Delphi murders. We're going to talk about David DePape and his attack at the home of Nancy Pelosi. Some more news in the Pike County massacres. I've got cold case updates, some developments with Nancy Eagleson case I've been talking about lately. Lots of stuff to get to Stay tuned.
0: Yes. Super <laughs> excited. We are all pumped to have James Renner. James Renner. Aspects James Renner has zeroed in.
1: James
2: Renner once again drops a bombshell. bombshell.
1: Investigative journalist James reporter Renner. James Renner, who's been on the podcast. Long time By a local writer, James Renner.
0: James Renner. James Renner. James
1: Renner. James Renner right now. Now at the top of the show, before we get to the top stories, I want to take a moment to thank Bill Mankey for uh, writing the, kind of condensing all those sound clips at the beginning into a nice techno jumble that is the new opening. Bill Mankey also does the music for Philosophy of Crime, my other podcast, and uh, you should give it a listen. It's got some, some, great, some great tunes along with some, some you know great stories. Philosophy of Crime. Okay, first story this week there's been a rash of sewing machine thefts in and around Cleveland, Ohio. Now, uh, police don't have any real leads, but they say it it appears that uh, the thief is following a pattern. He's he's following. Okay. There's a dad joke for you at the beginning of (laughs) of the podcast this week, because it's kind of a dark episode. So we've we've freshen the palate. Now let's dive in. The real top story this week. uh, Little Delphi, Indiana has become the middle of a toxic hurricane of online sleuthing since the arrest of Richard Allen for the murders of Libby German and Abby Williams last week. Now I produced a special episode of True Crime this week on Monday. You can listen to that wherever you're getting this podcast that goes, it's a deep dive into the Delphi murders and what led to the arrest of Richard Allen and what we know so far. But here's an update since then. This is, things are happening every day at this point. Uh, Armchair Sleuths took to Facebook pages and subreddits posting pictures of Richard's family, his wife and daughter. They have now gone into hiding. Everybody's kind of on lockdown in Carroll County. Motions were filed just yesterday. First Judge Benjamin Diener approved the sheriff's request that they transfer Richard Allen out of who is now charged with murders of both Libby and Abby. They want to transfer him out of Carroll County. He's sitting in jail right now for his own safety, they say. And, you know, there's this mob mentality and everybody seems to be with their, their pitchforks, not just the people in Delphi, but the people that have been invested in this case since, you know, for years now online. Then a couple hours later, so the judge agreed, yes, let's move him out of Carroll County. He's going to be put into state custody with the Indiana jail system. A couple hours later, Judge Deener recused himself. Judge Deener quit. He will be replaced by Allen County Judge Francis Gall in the days to come. Prior to quitting the case, Judge Diener sent an email to local reporters and court staff. This is according to WTHR, in which he explained how short-staffed his court was and how they're being inundated with requests for information about the sealed charging documents in Allen's case last week. So when they charged him, the prosecution asked the judge to put it under seal. And these are the charging documents. It's It would outline some of the evidence they have against Richard Allen and what led them to the arrest. And it's very rare for them to seal this because this is the real first piece of information in a court case. Um, so we'll get there in a minute. But it's sealed and people have been inundating the court for these records. And when I say people, it's, it's, it's really not... Just the journalists. These are, you know, these are Redditors. These are online people with nothing better to do than to harass the, the court employees. So, uh, anyways, normally when you charge a suspect, especially in a murder, you have an obligation to explain why. In his recruit, recusal, sorry, uh, Judge Deener references YouTubers who had posted pictures of his family online. These crazy people out there on YouTube and Reddit, going through everybody's Facebook pages, apparently they've posted pictures of Deener's family. This is the judge online. And this is a quote from the email. He says, quote, the public's bloodlust for information before it exists is extremely dangerous. All public service administering this action do not feel safe and are not protected. I'm going to go on because I think this is important. All defendants in all actions are presumed innocent. And that's a good point to make. Um, This is I'm jumping off the quote for now, but uh, Kelsey German was on Twitter last week. And even she said, you know, people are innocent until proven guilty, which is big of her to say, you know, her and her family have been waiting for this arrest for years, more so than anybody else. And so, you know, kudos to her for saying that. Um, continued quote from the judge here None of the family members of public servants are part of this action. All of the public servants are simply doing their jobs. Most of the public servants are woefully underpaid. Most of the public interests consist of people attempting to raise their status or profit financially. When the public peddles misinformation with reckless abandon, we're all not safe. Now, very well said, that's end quote there from the judge. And I agree with everything he says. but I'm speaking from experience when I say that there's no relief for what this judge is going through, and as a public official, it's, it's kind of your job to keep calm and carry on and not quit like you did. Um, you know, I, I'm going to tell you a little story here when I was researching uh, a different case a few years ago. There's this creep on YouTube who put pictures of my five-year-old son on, in, in videos and put them out on the internet with creepy music and it said uh, journalists with families shouldn't be digging into cases like this. And it scared me. And it felt to me like that that surely <laughs> is illegal, right? I went to the prosecutor out in Massachusetts and um, had a, Well, over the phone, had a conversation. It was the prosecutor and a couple of his deputies and, and the sheriff out there, too. And I said, are you going to arrest this man? Because I was able to find out who did it. And they said, no, you know, it's First Amendment. And I said, what if this guy shows up at my house with a shotgun? And there was a, there was a brief, <laughs> you know, silence. And then the prosecutor said, well, you know, then, then we have a pretty good case. So. Uh, I agree this needs to change, but you know, it is something that should have been changed years ago for all of us. And um, if public officials start running from this, we're just going to have chaos. So I don't agree with what this judge did by quitting the case and running away. Um, it's something that needs to be changed, but that needs to be changed in laws, uh, it, in you know, state legislature and you know the United States Congress. And but it's tricky because you're fiddling with the First Amendment, which is a huge right. But our four founders would never have envisioned social media and how toxic it can be. So I agree. It's time to reconsider that. But, you know, don't run. Don't run from this. You know, you're that's that's absolutely the wrong move. Uh, This case, by the way, I imagine will get crazier before it settles down. There's a hearing set later this month to decide whether these charging documents will remain under seal. In fact, I think that hearing is coming up uh, in about 10, you know, uh, November 12th, I think so very, very soon. Um, And, uh, you know, personally, as a journalist, these records should not be under seal. Um, And I understand the the families of the victims in this case are out there asking people to sign a petition so, you know, as that's not really how the law works, but to get public interest in keeping those documents sealed. And I understand that. And I'd be the first one out there doing the same thing if it was a family member of mine. Uh, But looking at it in a broader picture, um, it's a very dangerous thing to keep these charges under seal because it sets a precedent and you're just going to have that happen more and more. And we, you know, it's very important that we live in a country and enjoy these freedoms and don't have secret courts. And essentially that's what's happening here is we have a man charged with some, the the most serious crimes you, you can have, the murders of two girls. And we don't know why, because the court won't tell us. It's happening in secret and it shouldn't because in the United States we do not have secret courts and we should never want them. So I understand where the family's coming from. I respectfully uh, disagree with that. The only case this week that was more toxic than what's happening in Delphi is the thwarted assassination attempt on Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Early last Friday, this creepy dude, David DePape broke into her Pacific Heights home. Pelosi wasn't there, but her husband Paul was. He's 82 years old, by the way, and he was sleeping in his underwear and PJs, Dupre uh, confronted him in bed shouting, where's Nancy, where's Nancy, and then beat him with a hammer. These are the times we live in. Uh, Is this the second attempted assassination that Pelosi's survived after January 6th? I think so. Uh, Officers arrived shortly thereafter. Apparently there's dash cam footage of some of this assault. Paul then went to the hospital where he had surgery for a skull fracture. Pape, you know, he could have remained silent. They give you the Miranda rights for that. But he was talking to officers as he was arrested and taken to jail. He said uh, he did it because of the lies coming out of Washington, D.C. This is according to the Associated Press. I didn't want to hurt him, but you know, this was a suicide mission. I'm not going to stand here and do nothing, even if it cost me my life. Now, the LA Times found an old blog on DePape, or by DePape. he had, he had this blog online where he showcased his conspiracy theories. He had topics that he wrote about under, you know, things like manipulation of history and it's okay to be white. He's an anti-vaxxer and he posted a video and how surprised are we about that? I'm not, surprised. you know, we knew uh, he, <laughs> he's an anti-vaxxer and he posted a video about how the Ukraine war is a Jewish plot to get some cheap land. Like, I think that's the plot of Superman 2, by the way. De Pape is from Canada and was here illegally. He moved to California 20 years ago and he made sort of a living selling hemp jewelry. Elon Musk, in one of his first days at Twitter, even retweeted a conspiracy theory that this was all some homosexual tryst gone wrong. Uh, So that's crazy. (laughs) Um, You know, of course that didn't happen. And he's now in charge of free speech on Twitter. I'm beginning to feel like true crime this week might be a front row seat to the slow end of um, the world as we know it, right? I guess everybody feels that way if you talk about true crime long enough. It just seems like things are building to some sort of crescendo, but it's always crazy, right? It's always crazy. Finally this week, uh, some updates in the, well, the trial is ongoing for this Pike County massacre. Not since the Hatfield and McCoys, Remember those guys, the old Hatfields and McCoys out of uh, Appalachia, Appalachia, Appalachia? One of those. Um, We have not seen such hatred between families in rural America as that leading up to the execution of the Roden family by the Wagner family in Pike County in southern Ohio, Peebles. Now, the mother, the matriarch, if you will, Uh, Took the stand this week. Uh, Here's a little background first. So, if you're unfamiliar with this case, it's a doozy. April 22nd, 2016, a gruesome discovery was made. Eight dead people, eight bodies, all members of the Rodin family and the gillies. There are a few gillies in there too. An entire extended family wiped off the face of the earth at four separate locations, four different homes in Little Peebles, Ohio. The only survivors were a three-year-old boy and his baby sister, according to WLWT. Now, this was bizarre from the get-go, right? Rumor in Ohio after it happened was that this was a hit. This is what the media was was saying early on, and, and social media is what I mean by that. Let's not get them confused. Uh, rumor was it was related to a marijuana growing operation, and if anybody from Ohio or, or this region, r- rural Ohio in general, knew that was BS because you can't throw a dead cat out here without hitting some ditch weed, uh, everybody's growing it, um, and you don't kill an entire family of weed, you know, maybe if they're growing poppies, right? Then it came out that one of the dead, 19-year-old Hannah Roden, had a child with one Jake Wagner. He and his... And, and you know police went to ask him some questions and he and his family skipped town and i think some of them ended up in alaska in november t- 2008 so that was a red flag right and then in november 2018 police arrested the wagners and explained how it was all a domestic situation that got out, out of hand very quickly and um there was uh one of the one of the dead people was was this jake's you know, uh, Hannah, uh, who was the mother of his child. Now they were trying to get Hannah to sign over parental rights for their two year old child. And she refused. In fact, she sent somebody a Facebook message that said, well, look, they're just going to have to kill me. And, uh, when she refused, they, they honored her request. April 21st, 2021, Jake Wagner finally rolled on the rest of the family. He confessed in a plea deal that uh, kept him out of the uh, death house. He avoided the death penalty by pleading guilty. He was also charged with unlawful conduct with a minor because surprise, surprise, Hannah was just 13 when their relationship began. Now, oh, so bringing us to this week when uh, Jake's mother took the stand, everybody's cutting deals to save themselves. His mother was on stand this week, Angela Wagner, testifying against her old, uh, her other son, George. On Tuesday, she said that the murders were her husband, Billy's, idea. Now, here they are, the lovely couple. Um, also, uh, that dude married up, right? I mean, so that's Billy. Um, she claims her husband told her that if they killed Hannah, the rest of the rodents and the Gillies were going to know who did it. So they might as well kill them all. And so they did. Jake testified that he crept into Hannah's room. Trigger warning here, but when I read this, I'm like, you got to mention this because it is uh, a sad testament to how crazy this whole thing, this whole story is. So you can skip ahead if you want. Um, The son, Jake, testified that when he killed his uh, child's mother, crept into Hannah's room, she awoke and looked at him before he shot her in the head. Now, at the time, she was holding her five-day-old child, her five-day-old daughter, and the baby was was laying on her. He repositioned the mother's body so the baby could continue nursing until the police arrived. Baby survived, but that is, uh, that's cold. Um, so that is what's happening this week. Those are the top stories. Stay with me, there's some better, we always have better news in the second half of the show because the second half of the show is all about how we solve some of these old cases. The beginning part are the cases that are gonna be frustrating for a while until we solve them, and then they move to the second half and we have resolution. So, you know, the truth will out in the end. So, hey, look, I'll be right back in two and two.
2: It's that time of the year.
1: And we're back with TJ Hooker, starring Heather Locklear. You know, I think she's going to go places. Uh, hey, before we get going with the rest of the stories, i got to tell you real quick about Magic Mind. See this little shot here, this little green juice? Well, uh, I do a lot of work from home. I prepare for the show during the day. I do some other writing. And around 3 p.m., I really start to lag. You get that 3 p.m. lag. Well, I've been taking one of these, drinking one of these at about 3 p.m. And it gives me the mental clarity and energy to, you know, kickstart and get back to the, the creative writing. Now, Magic Mind is, you know, you've heard this, this nootropics thing. Well, it's all about the nootropics and adaptogens like lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms. Those give you the clarity of mind, by the way. And it doesn't taste like, I say mushrooms, but it doesn't taste like mushrooms. Not like the kind that mom made you eat. It's got a lemony matcha flavor to it. If you're interested in diving into the mushroom revolution, give it a try and let me know how it works for you. You can order your own Magic Mind drinks at MagicMind.com. I'm sorry, MagicMind.co backslash CrimeWeek. Use my discount code Crime Week 20 for a 20% discount on a single purchase or 40% off your subscription. Um, that's MagicMind.co backslash CrimeWeek crime week 20 for the discount. Um, seriously though, it's, it's good stuff. And uh, if you need a little boost around 3 PM, I recommend it. Cold case updates. There's I uh, uh, I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, th- this is a cold case out of Chicopee, Massachusetts. That's fairly popular out there on May 26, 1966, 10 year old Betty Lou Zakowski got a call at home, and told her mother it was her friend and she was going over to play. That appears to not be true. In some ways, this reminds me a little bit of the the Amy Mahalovic case, right? But this was in Chicopee, Massachusetts in the 60s, 66. Nice, quiet place to raise a family. Her family, of course, let her go. Never saw her alive again. Four days later, Betty's body was found by the Westfield River in West Springfield, she had died from blunt force injuries to her head and then drowned. Recently, a cold case unit re- re- reviewed the case. And this week, police arrested a 73 year old man named Donald Mars and charged him with first degree murder. Now, if I'm doing the math right, Donald Mars would have been 16 at the time of this murder. And possibly this was his first, but not only this is the first thing I thought. Now, he's never been charged in another murder, however, this is not his only crime. According to Boston.com, Mars was convicted of child sex offenses in 1995 and was deemed likely to re-offend. They haven't released how they linked him to this crime, by the way. We don't know if it was DNA or just solid police work, but uh, nice job out there. A minor update in the case of the missing three-year-old Australian boy this week. I'm talking about William Tyrell who disappeared from his foster grandmother's house in New South Wales on September 12, 2014. He was last seen wearing a Spider-Man costume and playing around the house. Now in April of this year, Tyrell's foster parents were charged with giving misleading or false evidence to police. Trial is going on right now. And detective Sergeant Andrew Lonergan was called to the stand this week. He revealed that police had planted listening devices at two locations, to intercept phone calls from the foster parents, and he believes he knows what happened to the boy. This is a quote from him from brought to us from ABC News, quote, I've formed the view that she knows where William Tyrell is, meaning the foster mother. He said this on the stand. The charges of giving false information, by the way, are unrelated to William's case. They came about during a separate assault charge where the foster mother stands accused of hitting and kicking a girl in her care. Sad story there. Um, some good news here. I've talked about Nancy Eagleson in the last couple episodes. She is uh, a, this is a 14-year-old girl who was abducted and murdered in a, in Paulding County, Ohio in 1960, a very old cold case. And my nonprofit, The Porchlight Project, has been involved and we raised money to have her body exhumed and re-examined. That exhumation happened last week. And Lucas County Deputy Coroner Tom Blomquist got right into the examination. And while uh, it was unexpected, what he found when going through the remains was a bullet. He found a bullet that had never been collected during the initial autopsy. They thought Nancy had only been shot once. Turns out she was actually shot twice and they recovered the bullet, which could hopefully, knock on wood, uh, be linked to a possible weapon after all these years. That's that's the hope here. They also found fibers on her body that could be examined. And those are being transferred to Ohio BCI for further examination. So fingers crossed. And with the um, we had a lot of support with the Nancy Eagleson case. So I also want to thank True Crime Garage and Ashley Flowers for their donations. And uh, Uncovered.com was very helpful with connecting us with police and family there, too. Genetic genealogy news. Big news. One of the biggest cold case Jane Doe's, unresolved Jane Doe cases anyways, was solved last week or this week. Uh, It's probably the most famous uh, Jane Doe case in... U.S. history. I'm talking about the Lady of the Dunes. And, and if you frequent Reddit or uh, web sleuths, Lady of the Dunes comes up a lot. It's, she, so a female body was discovered in the sand dunes of Provincetown, Massachusetts back in 1974. Uh, her body was nude. She was still laying on a beach blanket but her body had been severely mutilated. Her hands had been removed. Now nobody knew who she was for nearly fifty years. Like I said, it, she became kind of an urban legend. Stephen King's son Joe, who writes under the name Joe Hill, even weighed in on this, and he became um, popular a couple of years ago when he <laughs> he was watching Jaws, and Jaws happened to have filmed near where the body was found at, at that time, and he was watching Jaws, and he saw a woman playing a background character, like an extra, who looked like the composite sketch that they had developed of the Lady in the Dunes and had the blue headscarf and everything. And he's like, whoa! He's like, what if she was an extra on Jaws? Is it possible that this is the same woman? And so that made her case even more popular. Anyways, last week our friends at Othram Labs announced that they had traced this woman's DNA back to her family. And they identified her as Ruth Marie Terry. And authorities are now seeking info on a, a man named Guy Rockwell Moldaven. Moldaven. Uh, now, Guy Moldaven, uh, apparently, Ruth supposedly married shortly before her murder. And I guess he never reported her missing. Uh, He was an antiques dealer and he was previously arrested in 1960 when the mutilated bodies of his ex-wife and daughter were found in their Seattle home, according to New York Times. Now, a guy who mutilates and hides the bodies of his ex-wife and daughter gets convicted of it. How many years do you suppose he served in 1960? That's right, two. He was freed in 1962. It's possible Ruth Marie Terry never knew about that, by the way. Records show that Moldavin married Ruth in Reno in 1974, a few months before she was killed. Unfortunately, he died in 2002. So it seems like we have pretty much the full story here, even though it's not conclusively uh, been proven that he killed her. But, you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> in pop culture this week, if you're looking for a truly absurd and crazy True crime story. Hulu has just released a new documentary called God forbid about the sex scandal that brought down evangelical pastor Jerry Falwell Jr. and it's told from the point of view of Falwell's pool boy who got caught up in some kinky threesomes with Falwell's wife or or two sums with, you know, the third person watching. Uh, Falwell endorsed Trump in 2016, assuring him votes from his legion of followers. It's always the family values, men. And Falwell has also been caught saying some pretty crazy things before he got caught up in this scandal. There was that shooting out in California a few years ago, after which he said, quote, always thought that if more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims before they walked in and killed everybody. So, yeah, nice guy. Um, and you know, you know, more power to you if that's your, if that's your kink, but, um, maybe don't, you know, have, you know, tell your, your flock of followers, um, not to do like you're, like you're doing, I guess is is the thing. So anyways, God forbid on Hulu. And real quick, uh, the book this week is Bones. I've got all these true crime books back here I want to tell you about eventually. Uh, this book this week is called Bones by Joe Tone. Joey, as we used to call him back at scene, he was a writer at scene. Then he moved on to bigger and better things. Let me tell you a little bit about this book. Jose Trevino was raised in Nuevo Laredo, Laredo sorry, on the Mexican side of the border. One of 13 children born to a hard-working ranch hand. As Jose built a humble business, his older brother, Miguel, had ascended to the top of the infamous Zeta cartel and was said to have burned rivals, eaten victims' hearts, and launched grenades at the U.S. consulate. But Jose, married with kids and now a U.S. citizen, kept his nose clean. Then one day, Jose showed up at a quarter horse auction and bid close to a million dollars for one horse, the largest amount ever paid at auction. Sounds like money laundering to me, right? The bricklayer quickly became a major player in the quarter horse racing scene that thrived on both sides of the border and caught the attention of rookie FBI agent Scott Lawson, who was himself raised on a horse ranch. He enlisted help a young American rancher who was breeding Trevino's champion horse. And here we go. The horse was nicknamed Huesos or Bones to infiltrate what was revealing itself to be a major drug laundering operation with the ultimate goal of capturing the notorious Miguel Trevino. The powerful horse may drive the narrative, but Bones goes deeper, shedding light on the drug war, the perilous lives of American ranchers, and the Sisyphean work of drug cops, and how greed and fear mingle with race, class, and violence along the vast southwest border region. So not your typical true crime. Very compelling story wonderfully written. Give it a read. That's Bones by Joe Tone. And that's it for this week. It is Friday. We've survived another long week, a rough week in true crime. But it is reason to celebrate. You got the weekend ahead of you. And that means it's time we got to, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime, in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening, I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.